reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning. It's a humbling thought to imagine being blessed with the opportunity to be able to experience what this picture shows. And um, I don't know if you can see it clearly, but um, images of a man praying at the bottom, and it says, Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We are not worthy of such an experience on our own, and had it not been for the sacrifice of Jesus, we would be nothing as a result of our sin. So I am reminded this morning of the experience, and as I was praying about the message that um, would come today, uh, with all the events that are going on in the world right now, the message kept changing and changing and changing. But this one strand held true. And it was that I'm reminded of the experiences of Jeremiah and countless others who at the time when they were called to do something or asked to do something, they felt that maybe they weren't uh, worthy of that opportunity, that they might not be um, able to do what they were asked to do in that moment. So I ask for your prayers as this message comes through this block of clay that I am and um, that I be removed altogether, and that only the message is heard, and that it remains untainted by me. First um, Peter 5, verse 8 says, uh, Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. The reason why I have, did you catch that next to this, is because I've read this verse before in many different versions, but this time something stood out to me. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. It's amazing news to my ears this week. See, one little word in the Bible often makes all the difference when you read it. And if you remain alert, you can avoid being deceived or trapped by that prowling around business. For the absolute best news is that all he can do is prowl around and try to be like a lion. He is not actually a roaring lion. Laughably, he is only like one at times. So are kittens, and I'm not afraid of those. You see, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan can only portray an imitation of what is real, what is strong, what is true, and what will always be here for you. The devil is a liar. He can only harm people who believe what he's trying to sell. Folks, we do not have to defeat the devil, because guess what? He has already lost. He's already a defeated enemy. Jesus, your Savior, has already done it for us. We merely apply by faith the victory that is already ours 
through our faith in Jesus. That's at least worth an amen. Colossians 2, verses 15 says, When he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public example of them, having triumphed over them through the cross. We know that Jesus has rescued us from darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light, which is in God's kingdom. Hear this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's time we adopted a grace perspective. See, a lot of people this week were trying to tell me, where are you going to go? Do you know what's going on in the world right now? Uh, A supervisor at my job said, you're going to travel where? Um, He has saved me so many times that why should I not have the same confidence in him for this journey? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I am confident that he gives this gift to us. So we need to make sure that we are accepting a new perspective on life. Paul wrote to the Romans, Yet in all these things we are even more than conquerors, and we gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us. Romans 8, verse 31. Satan is defeated, and he knows it. So if we don't know it, he will take advantage of that lack of belief and bluff his way into intimidating us. Stop and think right now, as I did this week, what lies have you taken as truth that are preventing you from living the life that Jesus wants you to have? There are 5,467 promises from God, at least, in the Bible. We are missing out on them if we do not take them as truth and believe them every day, no matter what we are asked to do. Once upon a time, there was a praying woman who asked God to help someone with a problem, and God whispered to her heart, perhaps you could stop asking me to do what I called you to do, but you just don't want to do it. Be willing to make the sacrifices necessary to follow God and act in faith as you feel God's peace with your actions, even if he's the only one in agreement. In Chronicles 20, verse 15, Jehoshaphat and us here through God's word are being told, Be not afraid or dismayed at this great multitude, a vast enemy, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And God told Jehoshaphat where to find the enemy. And then he said crucial words. And I like to read my name out loud after I see the word you in the Bible because it speaks right back at me then. You, even you out there today, need not fight this battle that you are fighting that maybe the people in the pew next to you do not know anything about. Take your position, stand, witness the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Second Chronicles twenty seventeen. In the remainder of the story, we find that the Lord caused confusion to come upon the enemy in such a manner that the enemy themselves wiped themselves out. Do you know anyone else that you would call to be your side in a battle than someone who could do that? In fact, as the men of Judah went to the lookout tower, all they saw were bodies of the enemy lying on the ground. No one enemy escaped. 
Second Chronicles 20, verses 22 to 24. What a mighty God that we serve. Our battlefields become places of blessing. On the fourth day, the battlefield was renamed. They called it the Valley of Baraka. It means Valley of Blessings. We have only to step out. How many of you would say that you were made better? I'm not saying that it was easy. I'm saying how many of you would say that you, your faith, the strength in your God, was made better by the battles that you went through with God on your side? If we wait to act until we don't feel fear, we won't do anything. And we allow the devil to whisper lies as truth, for the battle is never ours. So he is the one who should be afraid. All he has are lies. Why do you think he's always out to take away your joy? He has no joy of his own. Please turn back to Jeremiah verse one, verses, Jeremiah 1, verses 4 to 10. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying... Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not that I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Jeremiah was not sure of himself and thought he would not be able, as he was just a youth, to speak what he was being asked. But there's this famous line that is recurrent throughout the Bible. But the Lord said. That phrase changes doubt to confidence, fear to bravery, cants into cans, and hesitation into action. But the Lord said. You see, as we do often... Jeremiah forgot temporarily the hand that held him up. The great danger is not, really, that we will denounce our faith entirely. The devil's crafty, but even he knows that we're probably likely not going to do that, to that extreme. But perhaps today, this morning, this afternoon, last week, a month ago, news at work, news at the doctor's office, something came And for that moment, he was able to convince us that we were not so capable. And he convinces us to settle for a mediocre version of what God intended for our faith to be all along. Here we see God takes the initiative in Jeremiah's life, and indeed in ours, leaving you and I the same words that speak to us in Scripture. He says, I, four times. I knew you. I formed you. I consecrated you. I set you apart, I appointed you to that certain task. And Paul says in Romans 8, 29, 
for whom did I foreknowledge? Refresh our memory. Foreknowledge means before or after we need it. I also did predestine that he would be formed in the image of the Son. Isaiah 43.1. Isaiah 43.1. It's a phrase many know. Fear not, for I have called you by name. I have redeemed you. You are mine. And that is as reassuring as a hug to hear those words. See, who God is from your perspective today might not be who he is to your neighbor next door to you at this point in their life, and that's okay. It's not a competition, and it's not a race. As we go through our individual journeys through Scripture, believe it or not, the goal is not to see who gets through the most Scriptures first. The goal is to get the Scriptures through us. The goal is not to see who gets through many scriptures. The goal is to get the scriptures through us. Who is God to you? In the Bible, in Psalms, it says he's a healer. Isaiah said redeemer. Psalms, deliverer. Psalms, strength. Joel said shelter. John said friend. First John, advocate. Psalms, restorer. Isaiah, everlasting father. First John, love. First Timothy, mediator. Nahum, stronghold. John, bread of life. Psalm, hiding place. Isaiah, everlasting light. The list goes on and on. Strong tower, resting place, spirit of truth, refuge from the storm, eternal life. Lord who provides, Lord of peace, living water, shield, husband, helper, wonderful counselor, Lord who heals, hope, and God of comfort. You might need a certain quality on one day that someone else is leaning on something else about him but he is there for everyone and believe it or not you would not be the first person that he called to serve who felt unready unworthy unsure we have all felt as if we were trapped on an island island being i hyphen land where we are not too sure of ourselves and all we can focus on is what we what i can do or what i can't do And we aren't focusing on the strength of our relationship with God who can go the distance. God gave you a fingerprint that no one else has. If you hold up your hands, touch your fingertips, no one else has that imprint. And no one can leave an imprint on this earth that you can. It may be intimidating for some that the memorization of scripture does not come easily. This week alone I have spoken to people that I care about about this very thing. Does it come easy for you? No, it doesn't. Actually, it's kind of intimidating that other people are able to memorize more than I can. And so I ask the question, is it more important that you go through many scriptures by memorization? Or that the day that you need it, you hold on to the one scripture that speaks to your heart to get you through that moment. Does that matter more? Because it's about the relationship with him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 26, 1. If pride is a problem, try Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. What matters is not how many you can memorize, 
To memorize scripture is to hide it in your heart, and it can be a marvelous help in dealing with life, but only if it serves a divine, unselfish purpose. The psalmist wrote, I have hidden your word in my heart, and now we learn the reason, that I might not sin against you. Someone once asked a creative Christian writer named G.K. Chesterton, if you're marooned on a desert island and you could only have one book, which would it be? Naturally, people thought he would say the Bible or one of the favorite books. But instead, he said, Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. <laughs> I don't want a book to be entertained or informed in this moment. I want a book that will save me in this moment. And we are all trapped in patterns of thought and behavior that lead to death. Trapped on an island where we know not ourselves or God well enough and we are looking for help to get us out of this moment. The secret of life is indeed pursuing the one thing that matters. God's word, the word of God, can renew us and save us. When God pushes you to the edge of difficulty, trust him fully because only two things are going to happen. Either he will catch you when you fall or he will teach you how to fly. Psalm 68, 16, every day God thinks of you. Second Thessalonians 3, 3, every hour God looks after you. First Peter 5, 7, every minute God cares for you. And Jeremiah 31, 3, if you know what's next, every second he loves you. Prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. Pray as though everything depended on God, but then have faith as you go about the work with so much of your effort as if everything depended on you, while knowing where your help comes from all along to complete the task. And finally, pray as you can, not as you can't. For the whole reason why we pray is to be united into the vision and contemplation of God to whom we pray. And when you decide to undertake this work of prayer and feel by grace that you are called by God, lift up your heart to God with thankfulness. Some people say, I don't know how to pray. Doesn't matter. The person listening knows what you want to pray before you have thought of the words. Pray. Recently, I had the privilege and blessing to be on an island in Hawaii for my daughter's wedding. Uh, Maria and Raiden are on the left-hand side of this screen. I knew that attending my daughter's wedding without my husband John there to walk her down the aisle was not going to be easy. And for a moment, I was on a different island, for I could only see what I could not do. All I could see was what I could not do alone. The devil is a deceiver. So face the enemy is what came to me. Um, side of my Bible I wrote, this is how I face the enemy, and it was on the shelf staring at me when I was thinking about how am I going to get through a week. So that morning I went to the beach where they were going to be married, and I thought if I could pre-pray for this couple... The first morning I went to the beach on my own and I sat and I read the Bible and I took in the quiet 
And as I watched the waters come in waves, I felt my heart listening to God talk to my heart about the waves of emotions I was having then and over the past couple of years. And the thought came to me how deeply sin must wave in on God and how much pain that must hurt him. So I carved the word sin in the sand as deeply as I could. And with mo- within moments, clear blue water came up and washed the word right off. And I looked down and it was as if what I had, the sin that I had carved in the sand had never been there. I did it again and again and again. It was really healing just to watch the water come up and take it all away. And I wanted to do it one more time because I wanted to share it. So I drew it one last time. And for whatever reason, which I know now but didn't then, the tide stopped coming up in that moment. And instantly, I went on a different island again. Believe it or not, after being so strong and so comforted by the thought that he could take all my sin away, I immediately became frustrated because I wanted the tide to come in on my time. I wanted that water to come in then, in that minute, and take it all away. I waited and waited, and it seemed the tide was not going to turn, and I grew impatient. So, you see, if you're on the island, we need to remind ourselves to remove I statements of what we can't do, because we can do everything through prayer. He has taken away your sin, and if you asked him into your heart, it is as if sin had never been there and will be no more, for we have been covered and cleansed. It is a beautiful gift of grace, grace, God's riches at the expense of Jesus, our Savior. At the wedding, my youngest son walked my daughter down the beach to her new husband. You know what? It was beautiful. God granted them a connection that they will have their whole lives. We must accept what is, let go of what was, and have faith in what will be. There are some quotes on prayer that I have acquired over time. She became a warrior far superior to any epic hero read about. She became a giant a giant on her knees. With a sword in one hand, she battled the enemies of death and disease, and with her other hand, she stretched toward heaven. She kept beseeching God's help and his mercy. She was a warrior. There are parts of our calling, works of the Holy Spirit, and defeats of the darkness that come no other way than through furious, fervent, faith-filled, unceasing prayer. For the reality is, our prayers don't change God. Prayer changes us. Praying boldly boots us out of that stale place of habit into an authentic connection with God himself. And our prayers may be awkward at first, or at times they may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers make a difference. The question is, is prayer your steering wheel, or do you use it as a spare tire? What would the difference be in your life if they switched places? 
We talked about a grace perspective. It's a different perspective. There once was a man who was driving in the country, and one day he saw an old man sitting on a fence rail, and he watched the cars go by. He stopped to pass the time of day, and he said, You know what? I never could stand living out here. You don't see anything. And I'm sure you don't travel like I get to do. I'm gone all the time. I'm on the go all the time. The old man on the fence looked down and said, Can't see much difference in what I'm doing and what you're doing. I sit on the fence, and I watch the cars go by. You sit in your car, and you watch the fences go by. (laughs) Don't let your faith slip just because you only see your side of the island. Two chickens on both sides of the road. One says, how do I get to the other side? And the other chicken simply said, you are on the other side. A pessimist would look at this picture and see a dark tunnel. The optimist would see the light at the end of a tunnel. And the realist would see the freight train coming. But the train driver, he would see three foolish people about to give up their position unnecessarily for the wrong reason because they have the wrong perspective of the situation. We need a grace perspective When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big we can never kill him. And David looked at him and said, he's so big I can't miss. See, the way you see or don't see your life shapes it. How you see and define your life determines destiny. Your perspective on life, the grace perspective, will determine how you invest the time, money, talents, and relationships you have right now. And I think one of the best ways to get to know other people is to simply ask them, how do you see your life? Paul prays this prayer for us in Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's where we get the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. God sees us from a different perspective than we see ourselves. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you see yourself as losing, you will lose more. If you see yourself as a victim, you will be victimized more. If you see yourself as not too creative, you won't think you could create anything. And if you see yourself as a failure, you will fail more often. The Bible says, our beliefs determine our behavior. And Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew 12, verse 35, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. The way we think determines the way we act. Do you remember growing up and going to the fair, and at the fun house, they have these crazy wavy mirrors. When you look at those fun house mirrors, it is a distorted image of yourself. The devil is a great distorter. He wants you to see yourself differently. But number one, God sees you as acceptable. Titus 3, 7. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God, and he gave us the hope of eternal life. Nobody wants to feel rejected. You want to feel accepted. But people will do crazy things for that. Do you remember when you were a kid, and you were in the crowd, and you were the last one to be picked? Or maybe you were the first See, 
The myth about acceptance is that we think maybe they'll accept me. But here's three truths. One, nobody will believe you are perfect. Two, you aren't ever going to be perfect. And three, even if you were perfect, they wouldn't accept you. We have proof. Acceptance is not based on how perfect you are. It's based on the other person's maturity at the time and their love. The Bible says Jesus was perfect, and yet it says he was despised and rejected. He was not accepted by everyone. Jesus couldn't get everyone's approval, so only fools would try. What we want to be is accepted, and what we want to be is love. This is true, but who you want to be loved and accepted by is important. Titus 3, 5 to 7 says, God saved us not because we were good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and grace. All because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. So I don't care what you've done, and I don't even care how many times you've done it. I don't care how many things you've done wrong in your life. I care that you have invited Jesus in your life, in your heart, and moving forward, he will be with you. That's what I care about most. God says, I look at you and I say, she's a good person. He's a good person. They are acceptable to me. See, not because of our own merit, but because of his grace. And for some, their path has developed over time. They have learned to accept God. But are you at that point where you realize Christ has fully, 100% accepted every last bit of you? Many of you are like me in that sometimes... Our minds are still trying to perhaps wonder if we're doing what we should. We feel we have let him down. Sometimes it's hard just to try. God would want more. I could do more. i got to hurry. i got to finish this. I have a list of things I could do for him. And then when I don't do them all, that's when I slip. I have to remember to remind myself to stay off the island. You know, as a kid, we wanted to feel chosen, 1 Peter 2.9, you have been chosen by God himself. There's no other authority than that one. God chose you. Not everybody's going to get to do that, to be with him in eternity, because they haven't accepted it. Our goal today is to accept Christ in our heart over and over again until we really believe it 100%. You've accepted Christ into your heart. You've accepted the grace of God. You have been chosen then to spend eternity with God, and that's better than anything else in this universe you could accept or be accepted by. Some of you grew up with trying to please someone, and they still haven't told you that they are pleased with you. And now maybe you're trying to overcome that. Maybe you work so hard, you're trying to earn it. You wonder why you're becoming a workaholic. Are you trying to earn acceptance? If you had unpleasing people in your life growing up, here are two truths. One, if you didn't get their approval growing up, you're probably never going to get it because it's not about you. Hurt people are the only ones who hurt people. The second thing that's even more important is you don't need their approval to be happy. You don't need it. There are over 7 billion people in the world, and it's okay if some of them aren't approving what you're doing. Start living for God. Live for the love and approval of God. Psalm 27.10, even if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
God sees you as valuable. Do you know what makes things valuable? Two things. One, who owns it? The owner creates value. If somebody's famous and they own something, something very common can be worth a whole lot. Are your tennis shoes worth the same amount as Michael Jordan's tennis shoes if you listed them for sale? Who owns it determines its value. And whatever your value is depends on to whom you belong. 1 John 4.4 says, you belong to God. It doesn't get any bigger than that. You belong to God. He created you, he died for you, he saved you. You belong to God. Now imagine your worth. A couple of years ago, there was a famous Kuwaiti oil sheik whose daughter was kidnapped. He put out an announcement that said he'd pay any price for the daughter of a king. But you are the son or daughter of a king. You are a child of God, and he will pay and has paid for you. He loves you so much. He is willing to die. Then He was more willing to die than to live without you. He not only owns you, but the second thing that creates value is this. What is someone willing to pay for it? How much is your house worth? It's really worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Have a rare baseball card? How much is it worth? It's worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Now look what was paid for you. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You've been bought and paid for by Christ with his life, so you belong to him. The greatest ransom was already paid for you. You are lovable. God sees you not just as acceptable and valuable, but lovable. A deep, deep love you can't imagine. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Did you hear it? The world. It doesn't say, God so loved people who are beautiful. God so loved people who are intelligent. It doesn't say God so loved people who are cool or have the best fashion. It doesn't say God so loved people who are rich, rigorously working all day and night. It doesn't say God so loved the people who are perfect. It says God so loved the world, and you're in it. God says in Isaiah 54.10, The mountains and the hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. Two characteristics of God's love. It's consistent. He doesn't have good days and bad days. He doesn't get moody. There once was a person who said, My dad was such a moody person, I never knew whether I was going to get hugged or slugged. I didn't know because I didn't know what mood he was going to be in. Thankfully, our Father in Heaven is not like that. Number two, his love is unconditional. He never says, I love you, if. He says, I love you all the time. He never says, I love you, if these are the conditions. Lastly, God sees you as forgivable. That word, forgive, it's easy. We're in church. We hear it all the time. We do not realize how forgiven we really are until you read the scriptures. Ephesians 1.4 says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy. When did he decide? Then. In his eyes, without a single fault, we who stand before him covered by his love, And what an incredible verse that tells us how forgiven we are by God's love and what he's willing to do in us. Before God made you, he knew everything that you were going to do. 
the mistakes, the sins. He knew the worst thing you were going to do. Don't worry, God is never blind to your tears, never deaf to your prayers, and never silent to your pain. He sees, he hears, he will deliver. Because of Jesus, you are acceptable, valuable, lovable, forgiven, and capable. Do you know the one sentence you will never hear God saying? I didn't see that coming. As you face insurmountable obstacles, even this crazy bug that's going around right now, COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D. Someone says, are you afraid of COVID? This is what you say. Christ overcomes viruses and infectious disease. You will not face a single obstacle God has not already predestined you to overcome. Never, ever forget, he is not going to change his love for you. At this time, I believe we're going to have a prayer, and then we are going to have an offering um, in a different manner than what we normally do. So please bow your heads. Thank you, Father, Waymaker, Saver of us all. The list is long of how people have leaned into you. The list is longer of how you have provided back to those who have leaned Thank you for allowing us today, your holy Sabbath day, to have this time just, just to lean into you. We are so blessed to have this time in your word. And we pray that the words that we heard today would speak to our hearts and move us. Move us in a way without fear to lean on you and to do what you ask in the moments that you ask in the manner that you ask without fear. We thank you, ever-loving Father, for every word that you give us. And if ever we are struggling, if ever we are unsure, I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would come like a mighty rushing wave to remove us off of that island and bring our focus back where it belongs. We know in our hearts that we are yours. Your word tells us you are mine. Father, remind us this week. In the name of your precious Son, we ask. Amen.